السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد و نصلی علی رسوله الكریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم رب اشرح لي صدری ویسر لي امری وحلل عقدت من لسانی یفقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما کتاب البدو باب ما یقع من النجاسات في السمن والمائی ما یقع That which falls min al-najasat of impurities, of impure things. Fissamni in the fat, wal-ma'i and the water. Meaning, if something impure falls in fat or in water, does that fat or does that water become impure? Najasat, impure things, plural of najasa. So for example, urine or blood or any unclean thing, a dead animal, if that falls in samn, and samn, ijlin samin, those of you who have studied the entire Quran, ijlin samin, a fatty ijl, meaning with a lot of fat. So samn is basically fat, so you're talking about oil, clarified butter, things like that. And in these days, of course, alhamdulillah, we have separate kitchens, and alhamdulillah, kitchens are such that impurities are kept away completely. But it may happen that you may be washing meat, and the blood may fall, or something like that. So if fat or water gets contaminated by something impure, does that water, does that fat become impure too? Does it? So for example, a pool of water, or you were bathing a baby in water, and let's say the baby urinates. So does that water become impure? Hmm? I'm not talking about whether it's gross or not. I'm talking about impurity or purity. Is it impure or pure? Okay, so it depends on the amount of the water and the amount of the impurity that has fallen. So the ratio basically. Yeah? Okay, let's find out. وَقَالَ الزُّهْرِيُّ And الزُّهْرِي, he said, لَا بَأْسَ بِالْمَاءِ There is no harm in the water. Meaning water will be considered clean. You can use it, you can drink it, you can do wudu with it. مَا لَمْ يُغَيِّرْهُ As long as it does not change. What does not change? طَعْمٌ Its taste. أَوْ رِيحٌ Or its fragrance, its smell. أَوْ لَوْنٌ Or color. So in other words, you have to look at these three things. What three things? What three characteristics? The taste, the smell, and the color. If these three things change, one, two, or all, then because of that impurity, then that entire liquid will become impure, meaning you cannot use it. But if the characteristics don't change, meaning there is no smell, the color has not changed, the taste has not changed, then that liquid will be considered clean. So for example, you have a jug full of water. Let's say blood falls into it. You cut your hand, for example, and blood falls into it. Now the color has changed. Okay, because it's only a jug, it's only a glass. The color will change completely. But if that same amount of blood falls into, let's say, a bathtub that's full of water, will the color of that water change? No. Will the smell change? No. Will the taste change? No. So you have to look at the characteristics. Okay, these three characteristics are important. Now, there's an article that was written by Sheikh Yasser Qadi. I'll just read out a part of it. He said, there is unanimous agreement amongst the scholars that an extremely minute quantity of an impure substance when added to a large quantity of a pure one will not make the final substance impure. When there is minute quantity of impurity that has been added to a large quantity of a pure one, 
then that pure one, meaning the large quantity, will not become impure. For example, if a glass of urine is thrown into an average-sized lake, no scholar would consider the entire lake to be impure. Yet there is no clear consensus on exactly how much impurity would affect a pure substance. So at the end of the day, it's not about the ratio. It's not about the quantity. What is it? It's the characteristics of that final liquid that you have. But the basic point is agreed upon. If an extremely minute quantity of an impurity is totally dissolved in a much larger quantity of a pure substance, such that the impurity does not have any discernible presence, the resultant substance will be pure. So at the end of the day, you have to see the characteristics. Basically, there is a principle that is known as istihlak. Istihlak from halak. Which is when a substance dissolves completely in another. Such that it is lost. It has lost its existence. You cannot see it, you cannot smell it, you cannot taste it. When that istihlak has occurred, then the final product will be clean. But if there is no istihlak, then that means you will see some, you will find some characteristics of that impurity. So when those characteristics are there, then the liquid or whatever you have will be considered impure as well. One more thing we need to remember is that large quantity, large quantity is not affected by impurity. This is also derived from a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-ma'u la yunjisuhu shay'un. Water, nothing can make it impure. When? When that water is in large quantity. So for example, in a hadith, we learn about a particular well in which, you know, carcasses of dead animals would be there. Likewise, people would dispose of some of their garbage even. So, but still, that water was used. Why? Because the characteristics of that water would not change. So, for example, these days, garbage, everything is dumped into seawater, into lakes even. All right. So as long as the color, the characteristics don't change, that water is perfectly fine. And besides, the quantity is so huge that the impurity does not have an effect on it. وَقَالَ حَمَّادٌ And Hamad said, لَا بَأْسَ بِرِيشِ الْمَيْتَةِ There is no harm in the feathers of dead birds. Okay, Rish is what? Feathers. And who has feathers? Birds. Which birds over here in particular? Mayta. So, if the feathers of a dead bird have fallen into water, does that water become unclean? No. Would it be impure? No. Can you do wudu with it? Yes, you can. So this shows that the feathers of dead birds are not impure. And when the feathers of dead birds are not impure, then the feathers of birds that are alive are also not impure. And this is the case with all birds, whether they are eaten or they are not eaten, meaning whether they are halal or haram. It doesn't matter. And especially if you see feathers, you can't tell if they belong to a bird that is eaten or not. Okay, Unless it is of a very specific kind, only then you can tell. Otherwise, a feather is a feather. So feathers are all tahir, they are clean, whether they belong to an animal that is eaten or not, dead or alive. Why is this important to know? Because birds, they drink water too. And when they drink, they also bathe. So if there was water somewhere, let's say in a pool, in a pond or something like that, and you see feathers, like for example, if a person has an outdoor pool and birds have come and they've had, you know, they were swimming, they were drinking, whatever, so they've left their feathers. Is that water clean? Can you go swim in it? Yes, you can. Can you do wudu with it? Yes, you can. That water is still clean. 
this is the statement of a scholar. He said, لا بأس بريش الميتة. No, because if it fell into the water and the water did not become najis, that means that the feather was not najis. No, it could be a small amount of water even. That doesn't matter. The point over here is that if feathers have fallen in the water, that water does not become dirty. This is just like if a piece of paper falls in the water, that water does not become dirty. So over here, Imam Bukhari is trying to prove that Rish al-Mayta are not impure. They are not najasa. So there are different things that are being mentioned under this chapter heading. If you have such jackets or pillows or, or duvets, whatever, with down, with feather, it's, it's perfectly fine. You don't know which animal, which bird it is from, it's okay. Whether that bird was slaughtered or not, it's okay. وَقَالَ الزُّهْرِيُّ And Zuhri said, فِي إِضَامِ الْمَوْتَى Concerning the bones of dead animals. Which dead animals? نَحْوَ الْفِيلِ Such as the elephant. وَغَيْرِهِ And also other than it. So with regards to the bones of dead animals, such as the elephant or other animals, and other animals over here refers to those animals which are not eaten. So animals which are not halal. أَدْرَكْتُ nasan. I came across, I found, I perceived, meaning I came across nasan, many people. Nakira, this shows many. Meaning I've seen many people, min salafi, from the predecessors, al-ulama, scholars, meaning from righteous, knowledgeable people of the past. What would they do? Yam tashituna biha. They would comb with it. Meaning they would make combs with the bones of such animals. Okay, yam tashituna. This is from mashata, and mashata is to comb. So they would make combs with the bones of such animals. وَيَدَّهِنُونَ fiha, And they would also keep oil in it. Meaning if the bone was such that you could make it into a jar, it was hollow or whatever, they would also keep oil in it. لَا يَرَوْنَ بِهِ بَأْسًا They would not see in it any harm. So what does it mean? That the bones of these animals are also tahir. They are also clean. Because especially the elephant is mentioned over here. An elephant is a herbivore. Okay, So technically it should be Okay for consumption, but many scholars considered elephant to be haram. Why? Because it has tusks. And because of its huge size, that it actually harms human beings. It can harm people, it harms other animals too. So because of that reason, they considered it to be haram. But otherwise also, if you think about it, an elephant, for an animal to be halal, you have to slaughter it. Can you even think about slaughtering a 5,000 kg elephant? I mean, how would you bring it down? How would you control it? It would be almost impossible, right? A camel, it's so huge and it's difficult to slaughter that even. It's actually made to stand and a cut is put, a slit is put in its throat as a result of which blood gushes out. And then when the camel falls, then people cut its neck. When it comes to an elephant, its skin is almost an inch thick, okay? And it's extremely tough. It's it's almost like rubber. So it's impossible to slaughter it the correct way. The only way of of killing an elephant is, you know, using other means, which people adopt, you know, when they're poaching elephants. So this is the reason why many scholars, they considered elephants to be haram. Now, when it comes to animals, remember there are different kinds. One type is those animals that are halal. So you're talking about camels, goats, sheep, whatever, animal chicken, animals that are halal. When it comes to their bones, their meat, everything is permissible. The second type are those animals which are absolutely haram. And which are they? Two animals? Pigs and 
dogs. And their bones, their flesh, their fur, their saliva, everything is najis, it's haram. Then you have the third category of animals, which are also haram for consumption. So you're talking about lions, or according to one opinion, elephants, or mice. These animals, yes, they are haram. But when it comes to their bones, when it comes to their bones, they're not considered impure. Such that if it falls in water or if you use their bones for something such as making a comb or you know making small things around the house, then they're considered okay. Because they're not considered najis. وَقَالَ ibn سِرِينَ And Ibn Sirin wa Ibrahim and Ibrahim, both of them they said, وَلَا بَأْسَ And there is no harm بِتِجَارَةِ الْعَاجِ There is no harm in the trade of aaj. What is aaj? Ivory. And ivory is derived from what? From the tusks of various animals, such as elephants or hippos, even walrus, even a particular kind of a whale, I believe. So there are different animals which have certain tusks from which ivory is made. So they considered the trade of ivory to be halal. Now this doesn't mean that if the trade of ivory is illegal, you say, oh, but it's halal. No, illegal is something else and halal is something else. Illegal is when it is not allowed by the law of the land and you have to observe that. And halal is when it's permissible in the sharia. So if it's not allowed in the law of the land, you can't do it because there is a reason behind why they have made it illegal. So there is no harm in the trade of ivory. Why is this mentioned? To prove that ivory is tahir, it is clean. Because if it was unclean, then buying it and selling it would not be permissible. Just as the dog okay, or the pig, eating it is not something that's permissible. Likewise, you cannot even buy it. You cannot even sell it. The animal or any part of it. Okay, Its price is, is haram. The profit gained over it, that is haram. So the reason why Imam Bukhari mentioned this is to prove that such bones are tahir. They are clean. So they may be used for various purposes. And if they have contact with water, then that water is also clean. If a person is wearing, let's say, jewelry made of ivory, can they pray? Yes. Can they have wudu? Yes. And also remember that when it comes to ivory, it does not have any blood vessel system. Okay, meaning it's not, it doesn't have any, the rest of the bones, even your teeth, they have some kind of blood going into them, right? There is some kind of nerve, some kind of nerve tissue. But the tusks of such animals, they have absolutely no tissue, no blood, nothing at all. Okay, so this is also why they are considered tahir. Now, this is with regards to bones. Don't think that the skin of such animals is also clean. Okay, like for example, of an alligator, of a snake. No, that's a completely different thing. When it comes to skin, the ruling is different. When it comes to bones, the ruling is different. Because they're, they're different in their nature. حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عبيد الله بن عبد الله عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم سئل he was asked عن فأرة about a mouse a she mouse a female mouse سقطت that had fallen في سمن in some fat and this fat had solidified you're not talking about liquid oil but Something like clarified butter, but it becomes solid almost. 
So if a mouse has fallen into fat, so what to do with that fat? Has it become impure? Do we have to discard it? Can we use it? What's the ruling? فَقَالَ So he said, أَلْقُوهَا Throw it, meaning throw the mouse. وَمَا حَوْلَهَا And that which is around it. Meaning get rid of the mouse and also the fat that is around where the mouse was. Get rid of it. فَطْرَحُوهُ Then throw it. وَكُلُوهُ And eat سَمْنَكُمْ Your fat. Meaning the rest of it is pure. It is طاهر. Now, again, we learned earlier that as long as the characteristics don't change of the liquid, of the fat, then that liquid, the fat, will be considered tahir. Now, the characteristics did not change. This is why the Prophet ﷺ allowed that the people use that fat. Secondly, we see that the mouse is dead. It had fallen into the fat. But that fat is congealed, which is why the impurity will not spread everywhere. Okay, It did not spread everywhere. And because of that reason, Prophet ﷺ instructed that the fat that was around the mouse, get rid of that as well. Because that must have been affected, but all of it was not affected. Many times it happens in many countries. In fact, in Pakistan, many times we experience this, that you know the taste, the smell of the water, the running water in the house, You know, sometimes it smells bad, it tastes bad. So they have the water tank checked up. And sometimes you'll find a dead crow or a dead cat or something like that in the water. So in that case, the entire water tank is cleaned up and then the water is made to run. And then once the water is clean, there's no smell, there's no bad taste, then the water is considered clean. So if that animal has fallen into the water and that caused the smell, the taste to change, then you will not use the water. But if the characteristics have not changed, then it is okay. Mouse is not halal, you don't eat it, but still, it's okay. I mean, you would clean it up for other reasons too. I mean, it's not safe. It's best to clean it, but as long as the characteristics of the water don't change, it's okay for consumption. If the mouse was alive, it wouldn't stay there. When the people would see it, it would run away. It would only stay in the fat when it had died. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا معن قال حدثنا مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عبيد الله بن عبد الله بن عتبة بن مسعود عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم سئل عن فأرة سقطت في سمن تسيم حديث فقال خذوها وما حولها فطرحوه قال معن حدثنا مالك ما لا أحصيه يقول عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة Maran said that Malik related so many times that I could not even count it. Meaning this hadith, Ibn Abbas narrated it so many times that I can't even count it. So Imam Bukhari is mentioning this hadith again. Now, before mentioning these two ahadith, Imam Bukhari mentioned the statements of the scholars. These two ahadith and the statements, all of them prove each other. And what's the conclusion? What's the lesson that we learn from all of this? That when the characteristics don't change, then the liquid is considered clean. حدثنا أحمد بن محمد قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا معمر عن همام بن منبه عن أبي هريرة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said كل كلم every wound يكلمه he is given that wound who المسلم the Muslim في سبيل الله in the way of Allah so every wound that a believer suffers in the way of Allah. He was wounded, he was injured, he bled. Why? Because he was out in the way of Allah. If he was at home, he wouldn't have suffered. If he decided not to go in the way of Allah, he would not have suffered. He suffered that wound. Why? Because he was 
in the way of Allah. So every such wound, يَكُونُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ It will be on the day of judgment, كَهَيْأَتِهَا Like it. Meaning he will appear on the day of judgment with all those wounds. On the day of judgment, when the person will be resurrected, he will have all those wounds. إِلْطُعِنَتْ When the arrow was shot. Or, you know, when, when he was wounded. Meaning those wounds will be exactly the same. Such that تَفَجَّرُوا daman Blood will be gushing out. Just as blood gushed out of that person in the world, blood will gush out of his body on the Day of Judgment even. He will appear like this before his Lord. Alaunu The blood will be dam The color of blood. So the color of the blood will be like its color, meaning red. Gushing out, flowing out. وَالْعَرْفُ But the smell, the fragrance, will be عَرْفُ misk, Will be like the fragrance of musk. So a person will appear in the same state before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That his body will show. That, oh Allah, this was suffered in your way, in your cause. Why is it that a person will come like this on that day? Because this will invite the mercy of Allah even more. When you see someone bleeding, when you see someone in pain, when you see the wounds, it brings a different feeling in you. So a person will come on that day in the state so that more mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be bestowed on him. And likewise, the criminals, those who gave those wounds, will be reprimanded more severely, will be held accountable. Because when the victim comes wounded in that state, then it shows you know, that the criminal will be in serious trouble. And how the smell, the fragrance of that blood will spread everywhere as the fragrance of musk, so that the people present over there, all the people will witness, will bear witness to the suffering of that person in the way of Allah. And the people will know, they will realize its great virtue. right? Because today people feel pity, but on that day people will envy. Beautiful hadith. But why is it mentioned over here? How is it relevant? Water or liquid does not become impure by the mere contact of something that is impure. It will only become impure when its characteristics will change. Now we see over here that the blood, typically it has a smell. But on that day it will have fragrance. Right? The fragrance. So the changing of the bad smell of blood into good fragrance changes its impact from them to madh. Now the exact opposite is over here with regards to the matter of tahara, that water will not become impure unless its smell changes. It has changed in its characteristics. It will not be considered bad unless the smell has changed. So blood generally is is unclean. But on that day, it will be a source of reward and you know fadila for a person and we see that the characteristics have changed from bad to good. So the exact opposite, that water will only be unclean when the smell has changed from good to bad. This is one interpretation that, that scholars gave. Another explanation that some scholars gave is that this proves that blood has a smell. The hadith basically proves that blood has smell. And when it falls into something when blood falls into something and its smell changes or its color changes and becomes like that of blood, then its ruling will be the ruling of blood. That blood has smell. It has a color. 
when blood will fall into water, changing the smell and the color of that water, then that water will have the same ruling as that of blood. Which means that if that blood was unclean, was impure, then that water will be impure. But if that blood is tahir, then that water will also be tahir. So for example, I told you about the different kinds of blood, right? So for example, blood that is masfuh, flowing blood out of an animal that has just been slaughtered. If that blood falls into a bucket of water, changing the color, the fragrance of that water, that entire bucket of water, will that blood, will that water be unclean? Yes. Another scenario. If you cooked some meat, okay, let's say you had your steak, very rare. And as it comes on the plate, there's actually red liquid at the bottom. Have you ever seen that? Now let's say there's a sauce as well, and it's mixed with that bloody liquid. Okay, So is that sauce clean? Yes. Are the vegetables clean on the plate? Are your potatoes clean? Yes. Is that meat clean? Yes. Even though the color may have changed with the red liquid coming out of that steak? Yes. Why? Because that blood is clean. So even though it will change the characteristics of the rest of the food, of the water, of the liquid, whatever, because that blood is clean, this is why that food will be clean. So this proves that blood has fragrance. This is what the hadith proves. This is why Imam Bukhari mentioned it here. And when it falls into something and its smell, its color changes, becomes like that of blood, then its ruling will be the ruling of blood. So the conclusion of this entire bab, all of these statements and these ahadiths, what do they prove? That tanjis, meaning Something will be rendered, will be considered impure only by taghayyur, meaning when there is taghayyur, when it has changed, when the characteristics have changed. Something tahir will only become najis when it has changed in its traits. And also, the change of one characteristic is enough. Like over here, blood, fragrance. The implication changed. So likewise, even if one characteristic changes, the color is the same, but the smell is bad. Or the smell is okay, but the color is bad. The color has changed, or the taste has changed. Even one, that is sufficient. We do learn about, inshallah, in the following uh, hadith, we will learn about some other secretions, okay, which the companions took from the Prophet ﷺ of his body. Uh, for example, his sweat or his spittle. That is not najis. Okay, just as we learned earlier that the leftover water of, of a person is not najis. Likewise, such excretions are also not noticed. If the characteristics don't change of the water, when blood fell into it, then you don't worry about it. You will only worry if the characteristics have changed. Now, how is this whole bab, whatever we learn from it, relevant to you? How can you apply it? How can you benefit from this in your daily life? Can you think of certain scenarios in which this will be helpful? How can this be ilmun nafir? It happens working in the kitchen, you're dealing with meat, there's blood or your hand gets cut. It happens many times. Anything else you can think of? You know, you're giving a bath to kids and you don't know. They may have urinated, they may not have. And you're like, it, it happened with me especially. Every time I would touch my my baby in, in the water, I would have to wash my hands. Okay, Because I wasn't sure if that water was clean or not. It's based on shuck. But now you don't have to be in doubt. Because... If the smell hasn't changed, the color hasn't changed, then don't worry. 
then don't worry. Likewise, people are always, you know, in this shuck if they're going swimming ever. That the water must be unclean. I mean, and people go to great lengths when it comes to their thinking and imagination. So it's best to stop your thinking right there. Stop your shuck right there. The water smells like chlorine. Does It's not impure. So go ahead. Question is that, yes, you know, you know that the water is impure or impure, but what if you're not comfortable using it because of hygienic reasons? That's totally up to you. Everyone has a different level of comfort. So you're not being sinful. But if it's making your life difficult, if it's making your wudu difficult, your tahala difficult, your working in the kitchen difficult, then you have to be easy on yourself. Because sometimes we become too finicky about these things. Right? So a balance is necessary. Because sometimes we make our lives difficult and we make the lives of other people difficult. That if you see water somewhere and the characteristics are fine, then go ahead, use it, do wudu. Again, the characteristics of the water will not change. So for example, you go to the beach and there's a dog over there running in the water, swimming in the water. So is that water unclean? No. Because A, it's running water. B, it's a large quantity of water. And C, the characteristics don't change. That we see how the companions, their questions, they show how they were so keen on knowing what was right and what was wrong. I mean, a mouse fell in the fat and they're asking the Prophet ﷺ what to do. Right? These days we're asking questions to get away. But they were asking questions to find out what they were supposed to do. Bab al-bawli fil ma'id-da'im On urinating in standing water. Ad-da'im Da'im is from dawam, dawam to remain. For example, it is said, Tadwiman, meaning when a bird opens up its wings, it's flying, and it leaves its wings open. Okay, meaning it doesn't flap them anymore, doesn't open and close them. So that is called dawam. So, ma'uddaim is water that is standing, meaning it remains in its place. Because water, what is its characteristic? Typically it flows, right? But if water is standing somewhere, then urinating in that water, is that permissible? So for example, if there's a lake, there's a pool, there's a pond, or there's a tub, urinating in that water. First of all, is that permissible? And secondly, if someone else urinated, can you use that water or not? حدثنا أبو اليماني قال أخبرنا شعيب قال أخبرنا أبو الزنادي أن عبد الرحمن بن هرمز الأعرج حدثه أنه سمع أبا هريرة أنه سمع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said نحن we are الآخرون the last ones السابقون the first ones وبإسناده قال and in the same إسناد he said لا يبولن he should not urinate. Ahadukum, any one of you, filma'iddaim, in standing water, alladhi la yajri, the one that does not flow. Summa yaqtasilu And then he goes on washing himself in it. Now in this hadith, some of you may have it as one hadith, others may have it as two ahadith, separate ahadith. Basically, it's the same narration. Narration from Abu Hurairah In one, nahnul akhiruna sabiqun, it stops there, and another, Narration, it continues that the Prophet ﷺ further said that none of you should urinate in standing water. Now what does it mean by this? That we are, meaning this ummah, the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is akhirun, last ones to come in the world. But on the day of judgment, as-sabiqun. What does it mean? That every single member of this ummah will be as-sabiqun? 
سَابِقُونَ Not in the sense that the three types of people that are mentioned in the Qur'an, the people of the right, the people of the left, and the سَابِقُونَ no, Not in that sense, but سَابِقُونَ in the literal sense that first ones, meaning to be resurrected. First ones on the Sirat. First ones to be questioned. First ones to, you know, whose deeds will be weighed. First ones to enter Jannah. First ones in that sense. So, نَحْنُ الْآخِرُونَ السَّابِقُونَ We are the last ones, but the first ones in the next world. And then the Prophet ﷺ said that none of you should urinate in water that is standing. And then he further clarified, الَّذِي لَا يَجْرِي That is not flowing. That is not moving. It's not flowing. It's just standing. Do not urinate in that water. ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ فِيهِ Then he goes on washing himself in it. Meaning, how can you wash yourself with water which you have made impure by urinating in it? Okay? ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ فِيهِ This is like an objection. That how can you go on washing yourself in water in which you have urinated in? It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. Now, this hadith shows that it is not permissible to urinate in standing water. And that means its opposite is permissible. That it would be permissible to urinate in running water. Now yes, a person would not do that generally. But what if a person is in a state where he doesn't have an option? Where he doesn't have a choice? So is he committing a sin by urinating in running water? No. Or what if he urinates somewhere but the urine will also wash off or it will flow into the direction of the water? Okay, it may happen. For example, if a person is on a, standing on a slope and he happens to urinate over there and at, at the bottom of the slope is, let's say, a river or a stream. So that urine is going to trickle down. It's going to enter the running water or the lake or even the standing water. So yes, it's not ideal to do that. But what if something like that happens? So what do we learn in principle? That it's not permissible to urinate in standing water, but in running water, it is permissible. But if the water is of large quantity, okay, like we learned earlier, the characteristics don't change. And if there urine happens to fall in that, then is that a problem? No. Let's say you filled up a tub of water, a huge tub of water, and a child urinated and the sprinkles fell in the water. Then will you have to drain all of the water? No. If the characteristics don't change, then no problem with that water. Now, If you think about it, the first statement of the hadith and the second statement of the hadith, apparently there seems to be no connection. You'd wonder why did the Prophet ﷺ say these two statements together? Or why did, if Abu Huraira narrated the hadith like this, why did he narrate both of these statements together? What's the relevance? What's the connection between the two? What do you think the connection is? What goes in last comes out first. آخرون in dunya, سابقون on the day of judgment. What goes in last comes out first. So if there is standing water and a person urinates in that, and if he's going to take water out of that standing water, then what's going to come out first? Urine. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ said, ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ فِيهِ Then he goes on washing himself in it. Meaning, why would you do that? How can you? So it shows that it's not permissible to urinate in standing water. باب إذا ألقي على ظهر المصلي قذر When قذر, some impurity, is thrown on the back of a musalli, meaning of a person who is praying salah, أو جيفة, or a dead animal, or you know, dead, you can say a piece 
from a dead animal, okay, that has a foul smell. If that is thrown on a musalli while he is praying, Imam Bukhari said, "Lam tafsud alayhi salatuhu." His salah will not become fasad, meaning his salah will not be invalid. His salah will still be valid. So, if a person is praying and something impure falls on him during his prayer, then that will not invalidate his prayer. Person is praying under a tree. In the shade, nice and breezy, and there happens to come a bird on top, and he's covered in impurity. So, will that nullify his prayer? No. Wakana ibn Umar and ibn Umar, but remember, it's conditional. Okay, it's conditional. And what's that condition? We'll find out. Wakana ibn Umar, ibn Umar, he used to ida ra'a when he would see fi thawbihi in his clothes, daman some blood. Wahuwa yusalli, and he was praying at that time. What would he do in the prayer? وضعه, he would take off those clothes. Wamada and he would continue fi salatihi in his salah. So Ibn Umar, what was his habit? If he was ever praying and during his prayer he saw some blood on his clothes and that blood would be impure. Then what would he do? He would remove those clothes and he would continue his prayer. Meaning he would not break his prayer. He would not repeat his prayer. Now, this is only possible, a person can only do that when removing those clothes would not expose his aura. So for example, you're wearing an abaya, and under that you're wearing normal clothes, and you see that your abaya has some impurity on it in your salah, then what can you do? Just simply take it off and continue your prayer. You don't have to break your prayer. But if removing the clothes will expose the aura, then what will a person do? What should he do? Continue praying? No, he will break the salah. He will break the salah. Okay? And then wash up his clothes or change, and then he will pray again. Wudu doesn't break, but he has to be clean, meaning his clothes have to be clean. But isn't this contradicting what was mentioned previously? That shows that there is a condition. What's that condition that a person knows or he does not know? Ibn Umar found out, he saw. That means he knew that it was impure blood, which is why he would take that off. But if a person does not know, let's say he's standing under the tree praying, something fell on him, he doesn't know what it is. It could be a leaf, could be a twig, it could be, you know, something else. He doesn't know what it is. So he can continue praying. But after the salah, if he finds out that, oh, this was something impure, and I didn't know, then does he need to repeat his prayer? No, he doesn't need to. For example, you're holding a baby in the salah, and that baby urinates or whatever, not wearing a diaper or the diaper leaks. Now you know what it is. So then you have to break the salah. But if you don't know what it is, it could be water because you don't know. Then in that case, you will continue with your salah. So what's the condition? Knowledge. If you're taking off the clothes in the prayer, now isn't that wrong? Because you're not supposed to move that much in prayer. Is that movement allowed? Even if you have to open up your buttons? Let's say of your abaya. Huh? That movement is allowed. What's the evidence of that? The Prophet ﷺ removed his shoes in the prayer when he was told that his shoes had impurity on them. Okay, if the abaya is such that you have to take off your hijab and then take off your abaya, then obviously you're going to have to break your prayer. Okay, in that case you have to break your prayer. وَقَالَ بْنُ الْمُسَيِّبِ وَالشَّعْبِ إِذَا صَلَّى وَفِي ثَوْبِهِ دَمٌ When a person is praying and on his clothes is blood, أو جَنَابَةٌ or semen, أو لِغَيْرِ الْقِبْلَةِ Or he prays other than qibla, meaning he is praying in a direction that is not the right qibla. 
Autayamama, or he had done tayammum. Okay, and then he had performed prayer. So there are four things mentioned over here. A person finds blood on his clothes, or janaba, okay, in his clothes, on his clothes, meaning semen. Or he prayed facing the wrong direction. Or he prayed with tayammum. Fasalla, and then he prayed. And then he found water in the time of salah. Meaning that time did not expire. Let's say he prayed zuhur with tayammum. Okay. It's not the time for asr yet. And he found water. Then la yu'idu. He does not repeat. So in any of these cases, he will not repeat the prayer. So for example, a person prayed salah. After salah, he found that there was blood on the clothes. After salah, he found that there was some kind of impurity on the clothes. Or he prayed facing the wrong direction. And after salah, he found out that it was a wrong direction. Or he prayed with taimum. Later on, he found water. Does he need to repeat the prayer? No, he does not need to repeat the prayer. But remember, with regards to the first two cases, when he finds impurity on the clothes, this will be when he did not know and only found out afterwards. He discovered afterwards. So, in other words, he was jahil. He was ignorant of it. So if he was ignorant of it, then no harm. For example, a woman is praying salah and she felt as though she started her period. She felt as though there was a gush of blood or something like that. She doesn't need to break her salah. She will finish her salah. And after her salah, if she finds out that she was bleeding, her period had started, did she commit a sin by completing that salah? No, there's no harm in it. No expiation, nothing on that. Let's say it was not time for her to have her period. It's istihada. Now, does she need to go wash up and do wudu and pray again? No, she doesn't. Now, there's one more thing. What if a person is praying salah and during his salah he finds, he sees some kind of impurity on the clothes? So what should he do? Either remove those clothes. If that's not possible, then break the salah and go wash up and come pray again. But what if he breaks the salah goes and washes up or changes and comes back, he will lose the salah. Meaning, the time will expire. Or let's say, it's Salatul Jumu'ah. It's a man. And in the Salatul Jumu'ah, in the salah he finds out. So by the time he will come back, the salah will be over. He will lose his Jumu'ah. You understand? He will lose his Jumu'ah completely. So in that case, what will he do? He will continue praying. He will continue praying even with that najasa on the clothes even with the knowledge that there is impurity on the clothes. Why? Because things are beyond his control. He didn't start it that way. He didn't start with the awareness that there was najasa on the clothes. And this is why some scholars said that, that for example, if a person is praying Salatul Jumu'ah, and during the Salah his wudu breaks, and if he goes and does wudu and comes back, uh, he will miss the prayer. Then what should he do? He should do tayammum right there. Even though he knows that on the second floor or in the basement there are washrooms and he can go do wudu and come back. But if he comes back, then he will lose the Jumu'ah completely. He will miss an obligation. Then in that case, what will he do? He will do tayammum right there and pray. For example, in the haram. If you lose, break your wudu over there, what can you do? It will take you half an hour. In Ramadan, it will take you over an hour to go and do wudu and come back. So in that case, do tayammum and pray right there. Okay, because Salatul Jumu'ah is something that has to be prayed right there. And then if you miss the two rakahs, your Jumu'ah is gone. In the case of women, remember that it's not an obligation upon us to perform Salatul Jumu'ah, so your case is different. Okay, this allowance is for men. 
So in that case again what can you do things are beyond your control so you will just do tayammum and pray this is just like that companion who was traveling who was sick and he became junub in the night people said that no you still have to wash up and that man died right and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that you've killed him so la yukallifullahu nafsan illa wusaha this deen is practical it's realistic it's you can apply it anywhere in any condition so where and remember that al-mashaqqatu tajlibu at-taysir difficulty brings about ease as well inshallah you will learn about that in detail sa'idun tayyiban sa'id is not just mud it's not just sand it is the top layer of natural earth okay so for example even if it's marble it's from the earth it's ground so you can even touch that and there will be dust on it and that is sufficient if there is rock you can even touch that yeah but it's not just carpet you can quickly run to the door or something and you'll find something okay pots plants whatever the walls even if they are if they have that dust if you missed a rakah in the middle then you obviously you'll make it up in the case of darura even haram becomes halal for a person right like khinzir is haram but if a person is in the state of extreme darura he's going to die otherwise and he can even eat that it's best you know it's most convenient that if you take some sand or rocks or whatever with you so that if ever you're in such a situation then you're not in difficulty hadathana abdanu qala akhbarani abi an shu'bata an abi ishaq an amr ibn maymun an abdullah qala bayna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sajidun once the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he was sajid ha tahwil meaning another narration qala wa hadathani ahmad ibn uthman qala hadathana shurayh ibn maslamata قال حدثنا ابراهيم بن يوسف عن ابيه عن ابي اسحاق قال حدثني عمرو بن ميمون ان عبد الله بن مسعود حدثه ان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان هي واز يصلي عند البيت once he was praying near the house meaning the kaaba in masjid al haram وابو جهل ان ابو جهل واصحاب له and his friends julusun they were sitting meaning they were also present in masjid al haram watching the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم performing the salah إذ قال بعضهم when some of them said لبعض to others أيكم which of you يجيءوا he will bring be be with سلا the womb جزوري of the camel that has been slaughtered by who بني فلان of so and so tribe meaning who will go and bring the سلا the womb of the camel that was just slaughtered by بني فلان bring it فيضعوه and then put it throw it ala dhahri muhammadin upon the back of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam idha sajada when he performed sajda fanbatha so he got up who ashqal qaumi the most wretched of the group the most wretched person of the group and who was that uqba bin mu'ayyid faja'a bihi and then he went and he brought it fanadara and then he waited he looked hatta until idha sajada an-nabiy sallallahu alaihi wasallam when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam went into sajda when he went into sajda wada'ahu he put it ala dhahrihi upon his back bayna katifayhi between both of his shoulders 
Ibn Mas'ud said, I was looking. La ugayiru shay'an. I could not change anything. I couldn't do anything. I was helpless. Because there he was, Ibn Mas'ud, and on the other hand, Abu Jahl and all of his friends, the elite of Makkah. So he said, I couldn't do anything. If only I had some kind of protection, if only I had some, some kind of, you know, help, some kind of protection, people who could protect me, I would go and help the Prophet ﷺ. Because him going and helping the Prophet ﷺ meant that Abu Jahl and his family and his friends would attack him. And the only reason why they would not attack him is when Ibn Masood had some protection. Because of which Abu Jahl and his friends would be afraid, and as a result they would not attack him. So he said, he said, فَجَعَلُوا So they began, يَضْحَكُونَ They were laughing. They started laughing. وَيُحِيلُوا And he was falling. بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضُ Some of them on others. Meaning they were falling on each other, leaning on each other, falling uncontrollably, laughing uncontrollably. وَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ سَاجِدٌ While the Prophet ﷺ was in sajda, لَا يَرْفَعُ رَأْسَهُ He was not even lifting his head up. He was not even getting up from that position. حتى until جاءته فاطمة until فاطمة رضي الله عنها came to him فطرحت so she threw away عن ظهره from his back فرفع رأسه then he lifted up his head ثم قال and then he said اللهم عليك بقريش O oh Allah upon you قريش meaning O oh Allah you deal with the قريش and notice he is praying he got up from the sajda and in the prayer he prayed he made dua, Allahumma alayka bi Quraysh. Thalatha marratin. Three times. Fashakka alayhim. So it became very difficult for them. Is dua alayhim when he prayed against them. Meaning, hearing the Prophet ﷺ pray against them was something very difficult and unbearable for Abu Jahl and his friends. Why was it unbearable? Because qala, he said, وَكَانُوا And they used to yurawna. They would see, أَنَّ الدَّعْوَةَ دَدْعَى فِي ذَلِكَ الْبَلَدِ In this city, mustajaba. It is responded to. And they knew they had done something wrong. And they knew that if someone makes dua to Allah in this masjid, in this place, in this city, then his dua will be accepted. ثُمَّ سَمَّى Then the Prophet ﷺ went on praying and he named out, he named, اللَّهُمَّ عَلَيْكَ بِأَبِي جَهْلِ O Allah, on you, Abu Jahl, meaning you deal with Abu Jahl. وَعَلَيْكَ بِعُتْبَةَ بْنِ رَبِيعَةَ وَشَيْبَةَ بْنِ رَبِيعَةَ وَالْوَلِيدِ بْنِ عُتْبَةَ وَأُمَيَّةَ بْنِ خَلَفَ وَعُقْبَةَ بْنِ أَبِي مُعَيْطَ وَعَدَّ السَّابِعَ And he also numbered the seventh. فَلَمْ يَحْفَلْهُ But he, the narrator, meaning Ibn Mas'ud, he did not remember his name. قَالَ He said, فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ Ibn Mas'ud said, by the one whose hand is my soul, لَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ Certainly I saw الَّذِينَ Those people who عَدَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ He numbered them, meaning he listed them, he named them, he counted them. I saw every single one of them, صَرْعَ Fallen dead. فِي الْقَلِيبِ In the well. Which well? قَلِيبِ بَدْرٍ The well of Badr. Meaning all of these people were killed at Badr and every single one of them was killed and he was thrown in the well of Badr. Now the reason why Imam Bukhari mentions this hadith over here is to prove that the Prophet ﷺ carried on his prayer even though something najis, foul-smelling, okay, had been put on his back. Why did he carry on with his prayer? Because he did not know what it was. And unless you see it, you know it for sure, you're not going to break your salah. Okay, so awareness is something that is important. And there are a number of other things that we learn in this hadith. One of the things that we learn 
is that that this hadith shows the enmity that the mushrikeen had for the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, who would perform this horrible act? Putting the womb of a dead camel, of a camel that has been slaughtered, something so big, so nasty, foul-smelling, on top of someone. And what is worse is that this was done in Masjid al-Haram. And what is worse is that it was done while he was praying. And what is worse is that it was done when he was in sajda. So only an enemy would do such a thing. Likewise, we also see the long sajda of the Prophet ﷺ. When he was in sajda and the filth was on top of him, he did not try to get up even. One of the reasons could be that it was too heavy. He was unable to. But another reason could be that he didn't want to. Because the longer you are in sujood, the more you can pray to Allah, the more mercy of Allah you're inviting. So in difficult times, lengthen your sujood. Then we also learn this hadith that those who order something to be done are like those who do it. One of those people said, go and bring the salah. Everyone did not go. One individual went. The entire group was laughing. They participated in it. Although one of them instructed and one of them went and brought it. But all of them, the Prophet ﷺ prayed against. So this is why we should not participate in an act even indirectly. Even indirectly. Then we also see the compassion and love of Ibn Mas'ud how he wanted to help and defend the Prophet ﷺ, but he could not. This is just like Lut said, لو أن لي If only I had some quwa أو آوي إلى ركن شديد. And this shows that sometimes you are unable to help someone who is being treated unjustly. Your hands are tied. You can do nothing. You can only watch. You are sometimes in, the, in a situation. I mean, you would wonder why wouldn't Ibn Masood go and help the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He couldn't. He wasn't that, he wasn't in that position. So sometimes you are in a position where you cannot help another. You can only see, you can only watch. But in this situation, what should you do? Recognize the wrong as wrong in your heart. You know, like the hadith says that when you see munkar, stop it with your tongue. When you cannot, know it as wrong in your heart. And at least have that wish, that desire, if you could only help. Like he said, If only I could. We don't know if he had wahi in this salah or not. Okay, because it's not mentioned over here. Another important thing we learn in this hadith is about the permissibility of making dua out loud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, right, about ud'u rabbakum, call upon your Lord, jahra, right, secretly and openly, in different ways. So making dua out loud. Also this hadith shows that in the salah a person can make dua too. Okay? Because the Prophet ﷺ got up from sajda. And he prayed. No, he did not complete his prayer. The hadith says that he got up from sajda and he said the dua out loud. So even in the salah you can. But when is it going to be? After you have said what you're supposed to say. In a hadith we learned the Prophet ﷺ said that after the tashahud and after the salat and salam of the Prophet ﷺ, then a person may make dua. But that dua will be in what language? In the language of the salah. Okay? In the language in which salah is to be performed. Alright. We'll conclude over here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.